Lord, we're grateful for another opportunity to come into your house with your people. We praise you, Father, that your Son, whenever we worship, your Son is worshiping with us because you deserve all worship, and so does he, and so does your Spirit. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to worship in spirit and in truth, that the truth that we hear this morning from your word would cause our hearts to well up in wonder and awe and praise and thanksgiving unto you because of your kindness and your, your mercies, your grace toward us. And we ask you, Father, because we know that's what you want for us, and you want us to change and grow and be more devoted and loyal and in love with Christ. Father, make it so for your glory and for our own joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Last week I suggested to you that every faithful church is always only one generation away from losing the gospel. Let me say it again. Every faithful church is always, only, one generation away from losing the gospel. I believe that about every faithful church wherever it is, whether it be in America or whether it be in Central Asia or anywhere else in the planet. And, and I believe it regarding Calvary Bible Church as well. We are always, only, one generation away from losing the gospel. It's true in our day. It was true in Paul's day. And it was especially true in the church of Ephesus where Timothy had been assigned to be pastor of that church. In some respect, as a re representative of the apostle Paul, he was the God-ordained leader giving direction to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus, as you know, was the church that Paul planted with his own hands. He had actually ministered there personally for three years. He preached and he taught and he had a profound impact on the region around him, Central Asia. Um, Asia Minor is, is what it was typically called, and, and we just call it Turkey today. It's in that same modern site today. And we might be tempted to think that with the Apostle Paul at the helm, that, I mean, the church must have been practically perfect in every way. But Paul's church in Ephesus was like every church. Had problems. In fact, uh, his problems, you could probably call them extraordinary. And Paul's church in Ephesus was, was different in the fact that it was a first generation church. I mean, there were no generation of churches before them. Uh, the gospel was fresh, the gospel was new. People were hearing it for the first time, people were responding to it the first time. And since it was a first generation church, they had extraordinary problems. There were, there were no second or third generation Christians who blazed the trail ahead of them and who asked and answered the difficult questions in terms of what's appropriate and what's not and who determines what's true and what's not and how women should function, how men should function in the local church. All of that was having to be addressed. There was no past to the church of Ephesus. And hardly any other church. I mean, when you read 
Paul's first letter to Timothy, it becomes apparent that there were all kinds of problems among the people of the church and among the leaders. And certainly there were problems among the elders of the church. Some were proving themselves unqualified for the office, hence Paul's lengthy instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 on who qualifies to be an elder. There were apparently issues among the deacons or as well, or at least Paul was trying to head off those problems by giving them qualifications listed as well. And there were problems with the teachers as well. Uh, there were people who were coming in teaching, already teaching false doctrine in the first century. But the problems at Ephesus were not only among the leading men of the church, they were also, there were also problems with some of the prominent women in the church. Some of these women were pressing for the right to teach and lead Whenever the church was gathered, they were essentially vying for seats on the elder board, as it were. On that particular issue, Paul ordered Timothy to declare to them, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Now that doesn't mean in general, it means in the gathered church. As Steve Lawson describes the situation, Timothy was faced with passive men and aggressive women. And none of the parameters had been set, or at least they hadn't been set in concrete yet, if that's possible. The goalpost always seems to be a moving target. But the Lord was establishing these things in this church, but they had a long way to go. The church was also overlooking uh, the care of certain widows, and there were money people in the church who were setting a bad example, throwing their influence around in inappropriate ways. And beyond that, false teachers had already weaseled their way into the church and may have already, probably, gotten into the elder board. Uh, a couple of them have been, become elders, apparently, or at least influencers in the church. In fact, there is the name of one of these men in 1 Timothy that shows up again in 2 Timothy. It's an example of the kind of wayward leader that tends to make his way into the church. In 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul tells us about some men in the church who drifted so far off course, they had, in Paul's words, they had shipwrecked their faith. Among them is a man by the name of Hymenaeus. And then here in 2 Timothy, years later, when Paul writes his second and final letter to Timothy, we learn that Hymenaeus is still there, and he's still causing trouble. He's listed as one of the false teachers who say that the resurrection has already occurred. And Paul says, and they were upsetting some of their faith. They were upset, upsetting the faith of some. In any case, this was the state of the church which Paul assigned Timothy to. How'd you like that job? It would take a strong individual. And Timothy was known for his timidity. And, and I, I showed you a couple of weeks ago, the word is equivalent to cowardice. And Paul seems to think that Timothy now, under the strain of ministering to this church with all of its problems, he, he's starting to show signs of fading. He's beginning to struggle inwardly in a way that concerned Paul. His courage was slipping. His, he was giving in to his natural timidity. It's just easier not to deal with the conflict than to deal with it and get all beat up about it. 
In this second and final letter, therefore, Paul writes to Timothy in part to help him get his courage back and to lead the church, not in, not in, in a perfunctory way, not in a superficial way, but with renewed courage and zeal. Notice the first words in chapter 2. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened. Or you then, my child, as the NAS says, be strong, be strong. Well, why did he have to say be strong? Well, he wouldn't have had to if Timothy were being strong. He wouldn't have had to say be strengthened if Timothy was already ministering with the appropriate strength. What was he going to need that strength for? Well, he would need the strength to fan into flame the gift of preaching and teaching and evangelizing that the Lord had given him, chapter 1, verse 6. He would need strength to overcome his disposition toward timidity in the face of fear. He would need strength to endure the suffering that he would experience as a result of being a faithful pastor, exhorting in sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict. It's going to recur, require strength. He would need strength to guard the treasure the good deposit, which he mentions three times in combined 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, the good deposit, the treasure of the gospel, guarding that was going to require uncommon strength, especially in his day. He would need strength to address the remnants of the false teachers who were there. But for our purposes this morning, Timothy would especially need strength to train future faithful Men, future faithful men, these would be the men who would preserve the treasure of the gospel into future generations so that there would be no loss of the gospel a generation or two from now. To use Paul's terminology, Timothy would need significant spiritual strength to train men in sound words, true words, healthy words. Not words that he would make up, but words that he received from Paul who would receive them from Christ. Paul wanted Timothy to train faithful men in a manner that would equip them to train others also. This is what we see in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3 through 7, Paul offers us three illustrations of the kind of labor-intensive ministry necessary to write this struggling church. And Timothy w wouldn't get there by being lazy. He, he, he wouldn't be, get there by sitting in his comfortable, easy chair. And probably he didn't have one of them. I have one. But he wouldn't get there by floating down river just allowing the, curtains, uh, the currents to take him wherever they wished. He wouldn't get there by being a fearful follower. No, he would need to labor like an athlete, like a soldier, and like a farmer. And this morning, however, we only have time to discuss the first two verses, as you'll see. And we'll come to the athlete, soldier, and farmer next week. But I want you to see that this is all one section. And Paul is treating this issue with Timothy, really exhorting him now. He knows that he's about to die. He knows that the verdict is going to come down and they're going to take him outside the city and, and chop off his head. Paul's ministry is about over. Timothy is just finding that out. 
as he gets this letter from Paul, and Paul is really concerned that Timothy needs to be ready. He needs to be ready. And he is ready in himself to do what God has called him to do by the Spirit, but he needs to understand the priority of creating teachers in the church, faithful men who will faithfully lead the church into the next generation without losing the treasure of the gospel. This morning, we're only going to have time to look at the first two verses, but in preparation for this study as a whole, let's stand together and we'll read this section of Scripture. May the Lord give you ears to hear. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. In these first two verses, I see two themes. This is, this is going to be a very dense, densely packed two verses. Verse one, Christ's powerful provision. And in the second verse, the pastor's essential mission. Now I confess ahead of time I'm gonna spend more time on the first part because the second part is primarily in terms of application for me and for the elders of Calvary Bible Church, the pastors who are leading this church. But it's important that you know what our responsibility is, what mission God has given us so that you can hold us accountable as necessary and offer the appropriate encouragements. By the way, let me just say as a side note on that, there's so many of you who have been so encouraging. We were moving all of the stuff out of the Burns building, out of our offices, and, and there have been things in there for 16 years that have accumulated. I, I tried not to let it get out of control, but alas. And, I, I, you know, over the years, you know, periodically you get a letter that's mean-spirited and unhappy and sometimes just weird. And, but a lot of times people just write handwritten notes to say how much they love their elders and the ministry of the word here at Calvary Bible Church and all of it in, in the variety of ways. And you know what? I, I take the letters that are weird and hostile and I typically throw them away. And uh, I realized this week that I must have kept all the good ones because I had a drawer full of them. And I read through some of them this week. And it was so refreshing just to see the kindness of the Lord's people, the fruit of the Spirit working in your lives as you sought to spontaneously encourage us as the elders of Calvary Bible Church. And some of them, as I'm reading them, I think I know exactly when I got this letter. And the person who wrote it didn't know it, but I needed it in that moment. 
And I praise God for that. I know you do that for one another as well. Keep it up. Keep that ministry to one another going. So let's talk about Christ's powerful provision. Let me tell you the theme of of verse 1 is this. God never commands us to do what he doesn't also empower us to do. St. Augustine said, command what you will, but give what you command. Give what you command. And, And this is the doctrine that we see here. It's not the doctrine of Augustine. It's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Paul says, you then, my child, or you, therefore, child. You know, whenever we see a therefore, we normally look to the preceding verses to remind ourselves of what the author had most recently said. In this case, verses 15 through 18, Paul had just offered two examples of unfaithful men and one example of a man worth imitating. And we might look back at that and say, okay, so you, therefore, is in contrast to the two guys who were unfaithful. And so maybe Paul is saying the one guy who was very faithful, uh, Onesimus, um, Onesiphorus, probably not the same guy as Onesiphorus, as Onesiphorus, Onesiph- whatever his name is. <laughs> um, but he might be saying, you, Timothy, follow the good example. Don't be like those two guys. And maybe that's implicit. I think more likely, though, in this case, it seems that the preceding comments are intended to highlight the intensity of Paul's concern for the future, the ministry of Timothy among the churches as he pastors in Paul's place after Paul's execution. He's really, really concerned for the churches. If Timothy was going to rise to the occasion if he was going to be the leader that he needed to be for God in these critical days of the early church, he was going to need strength that exceeded his own. Looking to self was not going to get him there. And where does a timid person find the power to be courageous? As some of you That question resonates with you. It often resonates with me. Where does a person who in the moment finds themselves timid because of where our culture is today to share the gospel? Where do you get courage? Where do you find that? And Paul tells us, he says, you then, my child. Well, before he tells us, let's let's look at my child. The term my child is, is not a put down. He's not saying, sonny boy, listen up. Uh, Paul wasn't calling Timothy a spiritual adolescent who needed to grow up, or he wasn't calling him a weakling, my child. My child is actually a term people used in the Bible when a person wants to address someone with whom they have a relationship of personal intimacy and endearment. This is Paul in all his tenderness saying, Timothy, You know I love you like a child. And I need to talk to you about something. Because I love you, and because of the mission that is being laid before you by God, I I, I just want to exhort you. These are my last words. Basically, 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament. I I only get to say a few things. I got to say some things that are really important. And I'm going to do it in love. Grace, I'm not here to discourage you by by no means. I need you to be encouraged. 
At the end of the Gospel of John, after the resurrection, you remember Jesus finds his disciples. They didn't know what to do. So Peter said, I'm going fishing, and everybody else said, I'm going fishing too. And they get out on the boat, and they can't catch any fish, right? They've been up all night trying to catch fish, and Jesus comes walking beside the water, and he calls out across the water, and he says, children, (laughs) it might seem insulting. He doesn't mean it as an insult. He's identifying himself. And and I think it was John who looked at Peter and said, I think that's the Lord. Probably nobody else called them children. It's the equivalent of saying, dear ones, dear friend, my dear man. Paul says, you then, my child, my dear one, my dear friend. Notice, again, the tenderness here. And it's all throughout 2 Timothy. And his exhortation is this, my My dear child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at it. Look at it in your own Bible. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or if you have the the NAS, the New American Standard, it says, be strong. Be strong. I actually think that the ESV gets the sense of Paul's meaning right or or better than the NAS. And and here's the reason why I think that. I think that because the verb here is a passive imperative. Now, if you're not a language person, what that means is imperative means it's a command. Passive means I'm not the one or the only one involved in this. There's a part of of this that is happening to me. It's passive. And yet it's a command. It's something that's happening to me, but Paul is commanding it to happen to me. How can you command something to happen to me? And yet that's what Paul's doing. The power that Timothy finds, the the power that Timothy needs desperately, he will find not within his own heart, but from a source outside of himself, namely, Jesus Christ. This is none of that business about look inside of you. Everything that you need is there. Uh, listen, here's what the Bible says about your heart. It's, it's desperately sick and deceitful. If you listen to your heart, it will lead you astray. Uh, I often refer to that as Walt Disney theology. Because that's the, I mean, that's the theme of, of every Walt Disney program. Follow your heart. Uh, it's no wonder our world is in such a mess. If you follow the impulses of your heart, your flesh, it's just going to lead you wrong. That's why we need God's word. And Paul wasn't telling Th- Timothy, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, man. Come on. Man up. I need you. I need you to be strong. Be strong. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, be re-energized by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word grace here has the simplest theological meaning. It simply means divine help. Or, and and catch this, if you're taking notes, write this phrase down. Unmerit, the unmerited gift of assistance. 
the unmerited, it's grace, therefore it's, it's a gift, right? It's unmerited, it's not something that you earn, it's something that God gives to you freely by his grace. So it is unmerited, the unmerited gift of assistance from the one person in the world, in the cosmos, who can assist you more than anything or anyone else can, namely Jesus Christ. This, was, this is what Timothy needed. He didn't mu- need to muster up more self-confidence. Uh, listen, when, when, when I'm facing a difficult assignment in ministry or, or when, I'm, when I'm talking to someone and I realize, wow, the door just flew open for me to share the gospel with someone that you know, makes me a little fearful to even think about doing that, um, The last thing in the world I need is more self-confidence. I need something outside of myself. I need a rock. I need a ballast in my ship that's strong enough to keep me upright. He didn't need to read the latest pop psychology on how to overcome fear. What he needed was to step out in faithful obedience to the will of God, trusting that God would never command him to do something that he also would not give him the strength and ability to do. If God commands it, if he wills it, he also gives what is necessary for it. The problem is that we tend to run off half-cocked, and we never never take a moment to realize, this is too big for me. Even when it's something small, seemingly. We are constantly dependent. You know what makes us Christians, one of the many things that makes us different than the world when we are living consistently with the word of God is is we don't see ourselves as strong and autonomous. We see ourselves as dependent, dependent on Christ. And that's where the power is because it's not our power. It's the power to do things that God is doing and he chooses to do them through us, but not apart from Christ. What Timothy needed was to be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. And this is not, by the way, a new teaching in the Bible. I was tempted to take you through the Old Testament and show you scriptures like this one, but they're all over the place. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Um, Throughout the scriptures, we find this. This is not a new teaching. It's, It's different in how it's expressed here a little bit, but it means the same thing. This is This is all over the Old Testament, and it's all over the New Testament. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, this is a great text to look up. Ephesians 1, 19, Paul prays for us that we would know, now listen to the words carefully, that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He wants us to know or experience the power that comes not from within us, but from outside of us, to us, through us, for the glory of God. 
Again, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul prays that, listen carefully, that according to the riches of Christ, of Christ, let me repeat it again, that according to the riches of Christ's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, let me just talk about power for a minute here. This is not you know, if, if you're new to Christianity, this isn't, this isn't like power to do, you know, miracles. And, you know, the apostles had that. We don't have that. But it is the power. And, and here's, here's what I would say about the power. It is everything and anything you need to get done what God wants you to do. That means strength. It means courage. It means wisdom. Whatever it is you need. Whatever it is you need in that moment, you're standing there, you're getting ready to talk to someone, or someone comes to you for counsel, and you think, ah, what do I say, what do I say, what do I say? And Paul's saying, listen, you have a resource that you need to tap into right now, and that is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not your own wisdom, not your own seminary education, not your own Bible study. You need the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do you tap into that? We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want you to see here that the power that you need is, is, is kind of a constellation of things. It is strength. It is courage. It's a lack of cowardice in, in its place. And it is wisdom. It's whatever you need. If God's given you the mission, the assignment, then he's fully equipped you to accomplish it. And how about this, Ephesians 6. Of course, Ephesians 6 is about spiritual warfare, right? It's about battling temptation, battling the devil. And here's what Paul says. Okay, how many of you struggle with temptation? Raise your hand. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, Some of you didn't raise your hand, and uh, you can talk to me about how you don't battle with temptation afterwards. I'd love to hear that. Um, Listen, all of us battle with temptation. All of us battle temptation. And you know what? And if you're in the battle, if you're really in the battle, it's hard. It's easy if you're not in the battle. I mean, all you have to do is give in. I mean, that's easy. The consequences are horrible. But dealing with the temptation right then, it's easy if you just give in. But if you're going to battle the temptations in your life, temptations to sin in a variety of ways, and you probably have one or two that you really struggle with most, it's going to be war. It's going to be hard. And what do you need in that moment? You need power, right? You need the wherewithal. You need the resources to engage in that kind of battle. And, and if you look inward, it's hollow. You don't have what you need. So where do you go? You have to go to the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And so, Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare, this is what Paul says. Be strong in what? The Lord and in the power of his might in your inner being. Uh, this is in, so there's the outer man and the, and the inner man. He's talking about the inner man. The outer man is this, and it's my fleshly way of thinking. It's, 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 uh, it's the teaching that, I, I, that I, how I instruct my own heart in the ways of the world. But in my inner man, by the word of God, I'm, I'm dependent on God's truth. Here, here's another one that you're familiar with, Philippians 
in the midst of his suffering, Paul declares, I can do all things through what? Through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Strengthens me, strengthens me. That's what we need. That's what this, but Paul is telling Timothy. That's what he needs. Strengthen me, strengthen me, strengthen me. You've been in a situation like that? I'll tell you what, I was in a situation like that um, 45 minutes ago. Is that right? Um, I got done teaching Cal 101, and it just weakness, I mean, physical weakness just came over me. And it's physical weakness, right? I got to come in here and preach. <laughs> um, and just the sense that I can't do this. I, I mean, I have to do this. But I feel right now that I, I can't do this. And I think God sovereignly ordained that because this is exactly what this text is preaching on. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me after relaying to Timothy that at his first defense, all who were in Asia deserted him, Paul writes this, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. That was his mission. It's his mission. I mean, where's, where's all my friends? I need you, I need you, I need you. They're all gone. Oh no, what do I do now? You need the strength that comes from the grace of Jesus in that moment. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you got to have it. And here toward the end in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, let me tell you, I depend on it as well. This is how I make it in this world. This is how I accomplish what I accomplish. It's not by my might, not by my power, not by my wisdom, but by the Lord and so you see, God often calls us to do things that, that feel like they're above and beyond our ability. And they are. If they're worth doing, they're beyond you. And if you feel like they're not beyond you, you probably need to humble yourself. How many times have we gotten into trouble because we thought something was not beyond us? I always think of when, and I've mentioned this before, when Keith was preaching that part of Joshua where, uh, where they're, they're taking the land and the Jebusites come and they're not supposed to enter into a covenant with any of the people nearby and the Jebusites come up with this fantastic plan. They were a people nearby, but they dressed up like they'd come from really, really far away and they came and they flattered Joshua and the leaders and they said, we're from a far country. Look, our bread is moldy, our 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 clothes are stinky and torn, our, our water bottles are, are empty, and, and, but we've heard about you from a long, 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 long distance away, and we know that you're taking over the land, and, and we know you're not allowed to enter covenant with the people who are in the land, but we're outside the land. Would you enter in a covenant with us? And, and Joshua essentially says, yeah, sure, 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 sure. No, no big deal. And he didn't depend upon the Lord. He didn't it wasn't that he was not dependent, it's that he, he arrogantly, maybe arrogantly is too strong, absent-mindedly maybe, refused to acknowledge his dependence on God in that moment and made a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake, and we won't go into all of that story, but you can read it. When God calls us to do things that feel like they are above our ability, 
Then, when we choose to trust him and rely on his strength, his wisdom, his might, he accomplishes his will through us. He gets all the glory, and we get all the joy. On the other hand, those who wish to be assisted by God's grace must not think of ourselves merely as passive recipients. Yes, God is sovereign in his giving of gracious, unmerited assistance that we need. But that doesn't take away man's responsibility. It doesn't take away your responsibility or my responsibility. Paul is commanding. Remember, this is an imperative. This is a command. Keep being strengthened. Paul is commanding Timothy to do this. It's just like Jesus commanding when he, in, in John 15 when he's talking about the vine and the branches. You know, the vine feeds life to the branch. It gets its power, um, right, the branch gets its power from the vine. And, and Jesus says, you therefore abide in me like a branch abides in the vine. Yeah, but isn't the branch just the passive recipient of it? Well, a real branch is, but when it comes to our organic relationship with Jesus Christ, we have responsibility. And so he presents it as a command, abide, persevere. And and this is the touchstone, really, of what Paul is teaching us here. Because in John 15, here's the exact words, I am the vine, this is Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. So that's fruitfulness. That's what we want when we are faced with a a ministry assignment that we either knew was coming on or was a surprise to us that it came on. Uh, We want to bear fruit. We want to be fruit-bearing people in that moment. But here's what Jesus says. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Zero. Uh, And obviously Jesus doesn't mean that you can't engage in activity. It's just that that activity will produce zero fruit for the glory of God if you're not connected to the vine. The power of fruitfulness in the Christian life is in vital connection or vital union with Jesus Christ, like a branch is in vital union with the vine. The grace is given freely, but we are commanded to act. We are commanded to engage. We are commanded to to abide. We are commanded to remain in Christ. You who are permanently and irrevocably in Christ, be in Christ. To keep oneself in a conscious state of personal, this is is key. What does it mean to keep yourself, to abide in Christ? It means this, to keep yourself in a conscious state of personal dependence upon the unmerited grace of Christ. Let me say it again. It is, it means to keep oneself in conscious dependence upon the unmerited 
grace, the unmerited assistance of Christ. This isn't some kind of let go and let God theology. This requires the hard work of dependent faith. And by the way, the hard work, remember I said this is all one section here, right? And we're not ready to talk about the hard work, but Paul is going to. He's going to say, what's the hard work like? It's, it's like being a soldier. It's like being an athlete. It's like being a farmer. And it requires the hard work of dependent faith that confesses not one's own strength, but one's inability to accomplish anything for man's good and God's glory apart from the unmerited assistance that is in Christ. We see an example of this playing out in Paul's own life. If you could just turn back with me to um, first, I'm sorry, yes, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. This is a familiar passage to all of you. If you have a Bible, I should hear pages turning uh, right about now. Second um, Corinthians, chapter twelve, and verse seven. And there's a whole context here, but we won't have time to do all of that. Paul is saying, as an apostle, he, um, unexpectedly to him, the Lord gave him certain visions about heaven, some of which he's, he wasn't allowed even to talk about. And, and in verse 7, he says this. He, he's, he's talking about suffering here and, and the connection between that and the privileges that God had given him. And so in verse 7, he says this to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. The thorn, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Now, now what's the thorn? Everybody wants to know what the thorn is. We don't know. It's just some kind of suffering. It may have been a physical problem. It may have been, uh, it, it may have been a person who was causing him trouble. Uh, one commentator says it was baldness. I don't, I don't think that was right, but... Um, <laughs> He was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Okay, so here's Paul. He's up against a, a difficult situation. He's got to keep serving, got to keep ministering, and, he, and yet he's up against this, whatever it is. And it's really something that has potential to really hinder him. And what does he need? He needs strength. He needs strength. And not only that, but he says, this is interesting, and we don't have time to preach on it, but this messenger of Satan, that, as he calls it, is from the Lord. The Lord sent it to him, specifically to keep him from becoming arrogant and conceited. Three times I pleaded, verse 8, with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said these famous words, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. By the way, now you, you have a little bit of the background. When, uh, for when we share what we believe is our vision for the church, we always call it our fallible, dependent plan. This is why. This is the theology behind it. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, hardship, 
persecution and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And yet Paul would say, it's I, but not I. I'm a part of this, but it's his power. I have to exercise obedience to it, but it's his might. It's his accomplishments. This is Paul demonstrating Again, his own dependence on the Lord and how that plays into the powerful work that he did as an apostle. So you see, Timothy's natural timidity, listen to this, Timothy's natural timidity actually presented him with the opportunity to see the unmerited grace of divine assistance bear fruit in his ministry. You get it? His timidity became the very platform for him to experience the unmerited grace of divine assistance that would bear fruit in his life, the fruit that was necessary to make sure that the next generation of the church wouldn't come without the gospel. And so Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in you. He means tap into the power of your dependence. How do you do that? Well, um, if you like five points in a poem, I don't have a poem, but I've got five points. And if you're taking notes and you want to discuss this in small group, you can write these down. I tried to make them rather pithy so you can jot them down quickly. So here's practical. Okay, so this is what I do. This is what I do. I'm in the other room. I'm in our makeshift office over there. I close the door and I hid in the back where nobody would see me and want to talk. And I put my head on the, on the table. I'm thinking, Lord, I can't remember the last time I walked in on a Sunday and I just felt so physically weak and mentally weak. And so here's my process of application of this teaching, right? Number one, confess your dependence. The ministry assignment before me in the next moment, the next day, or the next week feels beyond my ability. Confess it, Lord. And even if, even if you feel like you are sufficient for it, confess your dependence. I tell you, half the time, half the time when I'm talking to the Lord about my dependence, it's when I feel strong and it worries me. Secondly, so first one, confess your dependence. Secondly, believe in Christ's abundance. Speak truth to your soul. Remind your soul of Christ's abundance. And, and, and for me, it, it, it sounds like this. Jesus, I believe that the grace of strength, which I've defined as not only power, but wisdom and the ability that I need. Jesus, I believe that the grace of strength I need right now is freely available in you, in Christ. It's there. Number three, ask for strength. Strength, wisdom, ability. Ask for strength. Ask for the strength that you need. I, I pray, Lord, please grant me the unmerited assistance you have promised for my need. This next ministry assignment, this this assignment that suddenly is staring me in the face in my own living room or wherever I am. Lord, I, I confess my dependence. I believe in your abundance. I'm asking you now for strength. Number four, 
then move decisively, perhaps tremblingly, in obedient faith. Move decisively. Act. Obey. Don't just stand there in fear. Don't be a coward. Do something. And do whatever you think would be pleasing to the Lord in that moment. And then, number five, thank God for the sovereign, invisible work that he will accomplish through you for his glory and for your joy. I'm telling you, just less than an hour ago, I was sitting in there at the table doing this. And at the end, thanking God, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do in there. (laughs) My brain feels all fuzzy and my legs are weak and I don't know why. And... And at the end, after confession of my dependence and belief in his abundance and asking for strength, now let's go, let's go, let's, let's move in there and, and act in obedient faith. And even, even standing here before coming up to this platform, saying, thank you, Lord. I have no idea what you're going to do. And you are not obligated to show me before or after. But I know that you're going to do something this morning. Because this is your word, and, and it is by your spirit, and the power is Christ, and I'm just the piano that gets played. I'm just the instrument. Your next assignment might be an opportunity to share the gospel. And by the way, I thank God for all the fresh stories that I'm hearing as of late about more of you than ever who are being faithful to talk to people about the hope that you have in Christ. And the reason, the reasons, the arguments, the reasons, the biblical reasons why your hope is in Christ. It may be a need to take a stand for Christ among your coworkers or friends. It might be the need to discipline one of your children when, when you're all disciplined out and, and you know they need mom or maybe dad to step into his life and for the 10,000th time in the last hour, <laughs> they, need to, they need to be spoken to. It may be a need to walk through a minefield of difficult conversations with your spouse and you just don't want to do it. And you're, you know God wants you to do something and you don't know what to do. It may be a mandate to confront a brother or sister in Christ at your church about sin that you witnessed with your own eyes or your own ears. You'll do it graciously and in love and in kindness, but you're scared to death to do it. You're timid. You're feeling rather cowardly, and yet you know this is your assignment for right now. What do you do? Where do you get that strength, wisdom, ability? Um, You get it from Christ. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Well, I find myself in a conundrum. I said I would get through two verses, and I have. I'm sorry, I I said I would get through two verses, and I've gotten through one. There's two sections, and I've gotten through part of the first, and we're pretty much out of time. I think what we'll do is, is, is land the plane here and come back to it next week. But here's the thing, I think you have enough to chew on from this text and talk about this week and practice. 
But let me say one more thing before we're done. Um, I'm always conscious of the fact that when we meet together, you invite your friends, and I'm glad you invite your friends. And if you're one of those friends, I'm glad you're here. And if you're hiding down the hall in the big room, then uh, I don't know you're there, but the Lord knows you're there. Maybe you're wondering what this Christianity stuff is all about. You're thinking the stuff that you just heard this morning that, that seems otherworldly and it seems like so foreign to me. And I would say to you um, that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this isn't for you. You don't get this wisdom. You don't get this power. You don't, you don't get the provision that God has for you in Christ. Because you have to get something first. That is, you have to get salvation. You can call it redemption. You can call it being born again. You can call it being saved. You can call it, call it what you want. The Bible calls it by a lot of names. But here's the deal. You, first of all, need to be reconciled to God or you get nothing from God. You get nothing from God. And everyone in this room who knows Christ knows that the Apostle Paul knew that there was a day when they got nothing from God except the threat of judgment because of their sin. And then some, one day someone came along or maybe they came into a meeting like this and they heard of the grace of Christ Jesus, how he died on the cross for our sins, how he lived the perfect life so that there would be real righteousness to apply to our account because without that righteousness we would be condemned. And so Jesus came, he lived 33 years in perfect righteousness so that he would be our righteousness. And he died on the cross for sins, none of which he ever committed, but you committed. It's the great exchange. I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you have not been reconciled to God, I plead with you, talk to him and say something like this. God, be merciful to me the sinner. Or something like this, God, the only thing I have to offer you is my sin. Could it be that you would receive me? He will. If you come to him in faith. Or God, um, I'm the vilest person I know. And there's no way even your cross could be sufficient for me. But today I lay it down. Would you receive me? Would you rescue me? Would you redeem me? Would you adopt me into your family? Would you give me what you have promised to give in Christ Jesus? That, beloved, is the Christian hope. That is the promise of the word of God. And it can be yours if you will believe. If you will believe. If you will throw all of your eternal hope on this truth on this person, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful to you. You have changed our lives. This isn't just about believing certain doctrines. You have changed us. You've remade us, and you are remaking us still, conforming us to the image of your Son. And so we praise you and give you thanks. We are undeserving. Know how we need you. Help us to live dependently today. Help us, Father, in every ministry assignment we find ourselves in. 
to acknowledge our dependence and to run to you for the gracious provision of help that we don't deserve, but you freely give it in Christ. Thank you, Father, for this time together. We praise you for it and give you thanks in Jesus. Amen.